1: Bow hunting is a serious challenge. While it'd be perfectly safe to do, you would need a coalition of homeowners to give you access to their land. What better thing than if I could teach people to hunt for a living? You know, there's like eight or nine million people here. There's gotta be at least like a couple thousand of them that have the means and the desire to do that. I have challenges with some of my clients because they aspire to bow hunting immediately. I've not really bought meat in a grocery store since I moved out of the dorm in college. The convenience factor is the biggest barrier to most people entering hunting. I'm Fisher Neal with Learn to Hunt NYC, and you're listening to the Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots.
2: Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it.
1: Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer.
2: I'm like, well, you see that bush right there? (laughs) There's your bathroom.
0: Yeah. My dad wears a Levi jacket. He sits in front of a sagebrush, and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless
1: in everything you do. Don't crap out. Go back to the truck with excuses or whatever.
0: Okay, assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside. Just get outside and go, because once you do, it's all gravy from there. Hey, this is Zach Griffin. This is Hannah Barron. This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. What's up guys, this is Chad Mendez. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey
2: y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative. Today I am on the line with Fisher Neal of Learn to Hunt NYC. Fisher's got kind of an interesting background I'm excited to talk about, but we don't have many yale drama school graduates on the podcast so i think this is going to be a fun one fisher thanks so much for uh taking the time to hop on with me today thanks man i'm excited to be on so just to start out uh why don't you give a little bit of an introduction about yourself and how you were introduced to hunting and the outdoors yeah i was lucky in that
1: regard my dad grew up in a rural part of tennessee And by the time I was born, was an avid outdoorsman hunting and fishing. So, you know, my earliest memories are of him going hunting and wanting to go with him. Um, And thankfully, he was the kind of dad who was really hoping I would want that. And um, so, you know, at the age of four or five, I was tagging along and begging to take Hunter's Ed long before (laughs) I could read. And, um, you know, so... I I killed my first dove when I was probably 10 years old and my first deer when I was 11. And it's really just been, you know, probably the biggest passion of my life ever since then. Yeah. Like a lot of people, it's been a huge thing for me ever since I was a little kid.
2: So then you took a bit of a departure from, uh, from hunting. Uh, what, uh, what took you away from that? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I I was one of these kids. I didn't
1: really know who I was. I didn't have a lot of self-esteem. And then, but I started doing a whole lot of uh, like impressions from movies like Ace Ventura and uh, Forrest Gump. And my dad was like, you need to take speech class, son. You know, you need to do, you you need to do public speaking. And he put me up in front of people, uh, got me, you know, leading stuff in church. And I found that I had a, a knack for public speaking and, That led me into taking some acting classes in high school and doing the high school musical. And I just, I fell in love with doing that too. Um, And it didn't occur to me until probably like early in college that it was something I might have the opportunity to pursue as a career. I thought, you know, like the only thing I could really perceive was like, you were either like a famous person, you know, like a famous actor in the movies or TV or nothing else. I didn't realize that there were like lots and lots of working actors in television or regional theater. Anyway, I ended up just like making the very poor decision to pursue that as a (laughs) career. (laughs) Um,
2: Trust me, I'm from from Los Angeles. So I, I know a lot of people that have made that exact same poor decision. (laughs) They would say the same thing.
1: Yeah. It's probably like one of the worst career paths you could, attempt. Um, But uh, I did it and you know, I always thought that it was going to cost me dearly when it came to my ability to hunt and fish because I knew eventually I was going to have to move to, you know, New York or LA and uh, most likely anyway, there's not really a way to have a career that um, that stands out, you know what I mean? It becomes something that's really economically viable for you unless you go to one of those places and you know, living in Tennessee, I'm from Knoxville, you know, living there and, you know, having visited New York once, the, the idea that you could still hunt anywhere near there was like mind-blowing to me to the point that I really didn't, I assumed it wasn't possible. You know what I mean? Um, it was, you know, only after grad school or actually during grad school when I was doing research trying to figure out where around New York City I was going to move, did I discover that New Jersey actually has a huge amount of public land that's within an hour drive of New York and it's got a ton of deer on it. So I've ended up being in a situation where I have access to really good hunting and the ability to, um, audition for,
2: you know, TV and Broadway and everything right in Manhattan. So, you know, everybody, when you say New York, Like, you know, and I've, I've talked, I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast once or twice. It's, you know, it's similar to saying California, you know, people have very specific pictures, very specific ideas. Like you say, California, everyone's going to picture LA, San Francisco, maybe like the beaches in San Diego. And that's, you know, all encompassing. Mm -hmm. Same thing with New York you say New York, everyone's going to picture Manhattan, you know, or they're going to picture, you know, the city, Um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about the opportunity that's available around there and what actually makes up the state. Yeah. Well, it's so true, man. I was one of those people.
1: Like I referred to New Jersey as the armpit of America um, because it really feels that way. If you visit it the way most people do, which is like, you're landing at Newark airport and then traveling into Manhattan, or you're traveling up the I-95 corridor. And what you drive through is like this gigantic industrial, what's really an arm of New York city, you know, through Elizabeth and, you know, the port, And you've got oil tanks and all these like, yeah, these just like giant filthy industrial landscapes everywhere. um, And you really feel like that's what New Jersey is. And that the thing they call a garden state is just a load of shit. But, um, you know, the, the reality is there's a ton, a ton of people concentrated in here, but, um, there's just a ton of, um, wildlife really. I mean, the biggest issue is access. Like in New York, you have tons of deer in Westchester County, which for those who don't know, Westchester County sits right on top of New York city. You know what I mean? So like, if you get North of the Bronx, once you leave the Bronx, which is its own County, you hit Westchester County and Westchester County is like, you know, very affluent, extensive suburbs. It's like nothing but like wooded suburban landscape. And, um, you know it has an enormous number of deer but the access in there is super limited you know you've got a you you can only hunt with a bow and um there's almost no public land at all it's entirely private but once you get like above Westchester County then you start to be in a situation where like there are actually tons of giant pieces of land in upstate New York you know you have the Catskill Mountains the Adirondack Mountains which are the two biggest you know most obvious ones but there's tons and tons more. Um, you know, the challenge with that is most of them are like an hour and a half to two hours minimum from the city. So it's not like a day trip capable type of thing. Um, Westchester County is totally doable and there's loads of deer. There's also a whole lot of waterfowl that, uh, come and they winter, you know, cause everything around New York and Long Island, um, and this part of New Jersey is all like coastal marshland, you know what I mean? Like waterfowl want to be here in the wintertime um so there is the possibility of accessing that the challenge there of course is like if you live around here where can you keep up duck boat <laughs> you know yeah. having a garage is like a massive luxury here um but uh you know so like that's this is why actually I ended up moving to New Jersey because um New Jersey has a bunch of WMAs and state parks and stuff that are all you know, in the like 50 to 75 minute drive range so that they're doable from a day trip perspective. And the thing I used to, I used to bartend in the city a lot and I'd sometimes get people from Southern states or the Midwest and, um, you know, I talked to them about the fact that I was a hunter and I would always blow their mind with the fact that like antlerless harvest in a majority of the state is unlimited and the season goes from mid-September to mid-February. You know, we're dealing with places where the the whitetails are fifty per square mile, and some of the places where you can hunt and a hundred per square mile in the places where you can't.
2: Well, I remember um, so they're reading articles re- uh, a few years back about how they're hi- having to legitimately like hire snipers to take out, and mm-hmm. um, and then I think there was the whole campaign to like neuter all the deer around the city or like chemically neuter them, yeah. Like it's, it's crazy.
1: It's a real issue here. I mean, you know, so New York city with hunting is banned within New York city and Staten Island is a part of New York city. And at some point, like 10 years ago, um, some deer swam across the river, uh, from New Jersey. And now they've got thousands and thousands of deer on there because, you know, they have no predators and abundant suburban lawns to feed on. (laughs) So yeah, the city spent like over the last few years I think 3 or 4 or 5, I can't remember exactly what the numbers are, million dollars um on a uh sterilization program what they're doing I think is uh they're they're like baiting and then darting bucks and then they are um, you know they're neutering the bucks. I don't know if they're neutering them or if they're just uh I think they may be performing best on them. Okay. Um but they say they say that they have do they have supposedly done like ninety-eight percent of the bucks on the island, um, from what I read recently, but they just the city just re-upped for like another three million dollars for another two years to continue the program. The thing that's really, you know, it blows my mind because of course it only takes like one buck to swim across that river again from New Jersey after you've stopped the program within a year or two, you're gonna have tons of deer running around again. Yeah. And even so it's like you know the deer that are there are going to take 10 or 15 years well maybe not 15 but you know they're going to take 10 years to die out. So it's like in in that space of time you're going to have more deer show up. It's um in my mind obviously not a very practical solution. Um but I mean there is the real problem that like the deer are able to inhabit a landscape which even like bow hunting is a serious challenge because while it'd be perfectly safe to do, you would need a coalition of homeowners to give you access to their land. You know, we're talking about, you know, landscapes where like, there's not really, there's not like somebody's backwoods. That's even an acre where you could kind of reliably count on the deer to pile up. If you make a good shot, like, you know, Every freaking couple hundred feet is somebody's different property. So, you know, only if you had like 20 or 30 homeowners in a cluster who are all like, yes, we want the deer hunted. Here's permission, fisher, to go in there with a bow. And whoever's place you think you want to hunt on, you can. And then, you know, you can cross and recover it wherever you... You know, like that level mm-hmm. of organization would be required in a lot of these places. Um, and I don't think it's, I don't think that's ever going to happen, you know?
2: Yeah. Especially I have a feeling that a lot of the, the good majority of the people that live in Stanton Island, while they're sick of the deer, they probably also don't want to see anybody in their front yard, plug in one, you know, whether or not they want to totally. get rid of them. They don't, you know, versus you go somewhere else and people be like, Oh yeah, you'll <laughs> hold the hunting you want. Yeah. Um, it's just you, the, you get a little bit of, you get a little bit of everything here, you know,
1: like there's definitely a lack of trust of other humans that comes with living in this density. There's enough assholes that you really can't trust too much of anybody who's a stranger because you never know which one of them is going to be that guy or girl. Mm-hmm. Um, well, heck, people, I know if, yeah, if, if I are, lived
2: in New York or even when I was in Los Angeles, I wouldn't let anybody, you know, if, if that was flipped around, I honestly probably wouldn't let anybody on my lawn. Like, like exactly versus, you know, maybe I'm in, you know, who knows, maybe I'm in Montana or I'm in Texas or whatever. I'd be a lot more likely to let a, let a neighbor or, or somebody uh, access my property than I would uh, in the middle of the city. I just feel like it's like you're saying the density is, it's so different. You can get to know people a little bit better in a, in a different way.
1: Yeah. And there's a huge additional trust gap in like an understanding of say bow hunting and how safe it is, you know, like the odds, for example, that I'm going to shoot your dog or your child while I'm bow hunting in your backyard are zero. There's zero chance that I'm going to confuse your dog or your kid, you know, or like have a ricochet that hits them when I'm 20 feet up in a tree and shooting down. Um, But most people, even people who are in favor of like, you know, ethical hunting and like, don't understand that. You know what I mean? They think of hunting and they think guns, you know, they think hunting is stalking from the ground, you know? So they're thinking, okay, it's going to ricochet along the ground. It's like, there's just a huge gap of, of understanding as well that you have to overcome. But I do find people, you know, like, in jersey i've had success getting access to public lands and sometimes even by, to private lands by knocking on doors you do still get people who are fed up with the deer and who get it enough that like you know if you seem reasonable then they'll just let you hunt their place um usually what i get is access so i'll like i'll knock on the door and say you know there's this public land that's kind of landlocked behind you would it be cool if i you know, like traverse your yard and woods to get back there. Um, and, you know, sometimes people are like, no, please don't ever come back. And other times people are like, heck yeah, man, I'm so sick of the deer. If you see them in my yard, shoot them. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: So, we've talked a lot about all of this opportunity that's available, uh, you know, out in New York, out in New Jersey, the, you know, areas outside of the city, even not that far from the city. Tell me a little bit about uh, your Learn to Hunt NYC.
1: Yes. So, like, I, you know, I got the idea to start this because being an actor, I had such you know, regular and close contact with essentially the most cityfied, progressive demographic you could, and I found to my surprise that the people I was around were actually um, really captivated with the idea of hunting meat um, for food. You know, there's a big, there's a lot of people. I wouldn't even say maybe a majority of people up here who are kind of caught up in the trophy hunting myth that, like, you know, people people just like go and like shoot animals and leave them to rot in the woods and stuff. Um, and, uh, but you know, once people realize that's not what I was all of a sudden I was like the coolest person in the room. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, you know, that led me then when I came to New York, like every actor needs a day job, even, even actors who are doing pretty well, unless you've had a lot of success in TV and film or something, you need other ways to make income between gigs, and um, I just thought, man, like if I could, if people are willing to pay me, what better thing than if I could teach people to hunt for a living? There, you know, there's like eight or nine million people here. There's got to be at least like a couple thousand of them that have the means and the desire to do that. If I could just get in front of them, so I was like, what the hell? You know, the beauty of the modern world is that you can make a website you know for hardly anything and you know i used a very common service and they have like a a search engine optimization wizard get it all set up so that if somebody googles learn to hunt in new york city i'm the top hit right off the bat and so that led to emails and you know um for a while because we didn't have an apprentice license yet, it was actually really difficult to take people out. But now that the apprentice license has become a thing, the business has just blown up and has pretty much doubled each of the last three years. And most of the time, I'm working with people who have no experience at all. Um, they're like complete noobs. You know, maybe they're fish, they've fished or something or they're they into the outdoors through hiking. Um, but in a lot of cases, that's not it at all. They're usually inspired by somebody like uh, Joe Rogan or Steve Rinella. And uh, I'll take them. What I'll do is um, I really push people towards using crossbow for a wide range of reasons. Um, In part, you know, because that's the longest season that I have. And um, so I'll take them out. We spend like an hour on a shooting range, teach them to shoot well enough, explain to them shot placement and what the hunting scenario is going to be like. Give them enough time to practice and get familiar with that weapon. Then I take them on a a scouting hike, and I basically just dump as much knowledge about scouting and tracking as I can on them. I try to make sure that we hit all the different relevant signs, and um, I make sure for sure that they know how to identify like oak trees, differentiate between red and white oaks, and identify beech trees, and you know as much as I can about that stuff. And we talk about foraging a lot too, and that goes on, you know, mushroom hunting and uh, wild berries and things, if, um, if we come across them. Um, and then we move from that into um, an afternoon sit. Um, New Jersey is a bait state. So I'm able to set up a, a baited location, usually with a tree stand in advance. Um, uh, although sometimes during the rut, I don't bother with bait because the deer moves so much. Um, But, you know, when somebody's only hunting one afternoon and they're a beginner, I try to give them the highest success rate possible. Mm -hmm. And also, I find that, like, you know, understandably, beginners are not nearly as well equipped as a more experienced person to deal with, like, needing to stop a deer that's moving or like, you know, like, they really are helped a lot by an animal that cannot will approach and stop somewhere in an opening for them and give them some time. Um, I mean, it's removing those
2: additional complexities to the hunt, you know, so they can then take those different pieces on one at a time. So what, you know, start out exactly with that simplicity, then, you know, a few hunts later, maybe next time, then they, they do it a little bit differently. And they add that because they've, they're more experienced with everything else. And, you know, it's the, the age old, um, illustration of, you know, peeling back an onion. So one layer at a time. That's exactly right. It's
1: exactly right and it's an issue that I deal with actually I have challenges with some of my clients because they um you know they aspire to bow hunting immediately. Um because they see it they you know they've learned to see it through whatever media they've consumed that you know bow hunting is a more like honorable, challenging,
2: ethical way of hunting, right? Well, it's romantic. Um, It's like a yes. It's that, yeah. It's that connection. It's that romanticism of it. That's exactly right. So what I what I run into then is that
1: like those people, of course, have no idea the layer of complexity that they're adding on top of the hunting. You know, by doing a compound versus a crossbow. Um, and I'm constantly telling them, like, I know you've got your own bow, I know you've been shooting in the indoor shooting range for the past two years, but I'm telling you, this is a whole different can of worms. And if you want to have success, the thing to do it, my advice is always start easy, and then work your way up, you know, after you've killed one or two with a crossbow, and it feels easy, then, okay, let's up the ante and, and do the compound. But Some people still, you know, I can't get them to do it. I actually have one guy who, um, who started with a compound. We didn't have success. Um, and then the next year he upgraded. He's now hunting with a primitive bow. Um, so his effective range (laughs) is like 10 yards and I'm like, I'm trying so hard to get this guy a deer. Um, but you know, it's a challenge and he is not following my advice. He's doing what he wants to do. And you know, if, if he wants to hire me to, you know teach him and to get him as close to game as I can and I'll I'll keep on doing that gladly but my advice to beginners is start easy and then work your way up you, you know it's I, the analogy i use is it's like if you started a video game on the highest level of difficulty setting like you just get destroyed over and over again and you don't even learn that much because you're just getting shredded you know you've got to build some skills and like get a foundation under you and then move on
2: Oh, you trust know? me, yeah. you're you are uh, preaching to the choir with that, and I'm not sure if you're as familiar with my story, but uh, my very first hunt was a uh, solo DIY archery elk hunt on public land in Idaho. Um, oh wow, that was your yeah. first hunt. My very first hunt. Uh, wow. So suffice to say, I uh, you know I fell victim to that yeah, romanticism, and uh, well. I did. And I didn't, I did for the first couple of days and then I tore both of my knees. So that's a whole, that's a whole different thing. Most of my listeners have heard that story a hundred times. Uh, and you know, I've got, I think, I think it's episode 39 or so of the podcast. I talk about it, but, uh, yeah, suffice to say, um, I always recommend that people do it very differently than I did. Um, I mean, that being said too, if you want to go, you know, shoot, you want to go shoot an elk with your bow there's only one way you're going to do that and that's by chasing an elk with your bow but i'd also recommend doing other stuff too and being you know open to maybe hunting a rifle season as well or you know you have to yeah. understand what you get yourself into but <laughs>
1: yeah teach their own if people want to start that way by all means yeah. I'm just, there's my advice take it or leave it
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i always you know I'm, I I know exactly where you're coming from because, like I said, I always recommend to people, uh, you know, don't don't do what I did, uh, you know, do do things the smart way. You'll have a much better time of it. But you know what? Somebody's gonna do what they want to do, and you know, what? more power to them if they're finding joy yeah. in the process. And um, okay. you know, and and, uh, and the gentleman you were talking about, you know, he may. You know, he may be having the time of his life, you know, with that primitive bow. And, uh, that may be what's, Im- what's important to him. That may be w- mm. w- shooting something with his primitive bow, maybe 10 times more important to him than just harvesting something, which,
1: you know, it again, we, we've talked about it. We've talked about it. And that's exactly, he's like, I don't care if it takes me 10 years. Like I want to be out here and have this experience and like do it this way. And I'm like, it's great. That's awesome. <laughs>
2: You know, it's funny as, as you've been talking, I was just kind of, I was just kind of thinking and, um, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, your interaction with, with these folks. And I've, I've had, again, a very similar experience because I worked in the music industry for, and as well as advertising for a long time. So, you know, short of, short of the film and television industry, it's about, you know, the second most liberal <laughs> industry you can get. And yeah, a yeah. lot of, a lot of very anti hunting sentiment. Um, and, so I've had very similar experiences where, you know, once you get past that kind of trophy hunting discussion and uh, with a lot of those people and, but I always wonder if it, I think it does connect with a lot of folks in industries like that, especially kind of acting film and television, because there's so much of a, like a story behind it, if you will, you know, people are, mm. you know, uh, what you do for a living. I mean, what you do as an actor is you invest in stories and characters and uh, it's, it's a similar process with hunting. Like you're, you're building, uh, you're almost building this character and there's, there's such a romantic story with it and the process and the connection with the history. I feel like it, it's very intertwined. And I think, you know, you had mentioned people get really fascinated with it and you kind of become the coolest guy in the room. And I think, uh, I think there's a big relation with that.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. And especially, you know, the stories that people hear now about agriculture are, you know, mass animal agriculture are, are all negative. So they're looking for a way to continue to eat meat, but have a story that's positive. Um, or at least like, yeah, that's positive. And and I think that um that's got a lot to do with why people are, are drawn to to me and to learning about hunting. Um, I think also just because it's so far removed from their experience too. You know what I mean? Like most folks have never met someone like me, you know, like I, yeah, I've not really bought meat in a grocery store since I moved out of the dorm in college. And to somebody who's been, you know, living in a big city their entire life, that's just like the craziest thing they've ever heard of.
2: So, Obviously some of your answer would be make sure to check out learntohuntnyc.com. to hunt NYC.com, but say, you know, you're, you're on set or you're, you know, just even at the grocery store or whatever, and you're talking to someone and the topic of hunting comes up and this person, you know, I'm sure you've had this conversation a million times, but this person says, Oh man, you know, I've always been interested in that, but like, you know, I live here and I live here in the city. I have no friends that hunt. I have no relatives that hunt. Like, I don't even know where to start. There's all this stuff I have to learn. It seems really complicated. Maybe it's not for me. Mm. What would you say to that person? How would you encourage them? Or what words of wisdom would you give them?
1: My first advice to them usually is take Hunter Red. You know, not just because it's the mandatory thing, but it's a concrete step in the direction of what you want to do. Um, in a lot of states still, you still cannot hunt with an apprentice license, um, even if you have someone willing to mentor you. Um, and it's now possible. This is the other thing is I, I'm always alerting people to the reality that it's now possible to take Hunter Ed entirely online. It doesn't matter where you live. Is that? Do you know about this? A lot of people don't know about this.
2: I know. I know at least in California, you have to do a follow-up course. Um, mm-hmm. if you take it online, but I didn't know I didn't know New York mm. allows you to do it fully online.
1: New York doesn't see. This is the thing: hunter education certificates have nationwide reciprocity, right? Because Colorado can't make any money if I have to take Colorado's hunter education course before I can go hunt elk with a non-resident tag, right? And that applies everywhere. So they have nationwide reciprocity, no matter where the tag, excuse me, the certificate comes from. Certain states, the state of Pennsylvania and the state of Idaho, have it set up in such a way that a non-resident over the age of 18 can take an entirely online hunter education course. They will mail you a valid certificate. PA is, at least the last time I checked, you could just do the firearm course. And in Idaho, you can just do the bow hunter certification. Um... But in both cases, you can do that. You have to pay because it's through that paid site. Um, but it's like 25 bucks a pop. And from the comfort of your own home, you can get a valid hunter education certificate mailed to you that you can then turn around and use in whatever state you are. Unless, you know, probably most states have not yet caught up to creating a rule to block that. So um, it's actually, it's a really great thing. And I find, I actually learned that from one of my clients. It was a doctor. He was like, Did you know that you could do this? Um, and so now I tell all my clients, I tell mm-hmm. everybody this because for most people, and this is one of the biggest things that I run into is, or that I have learned through running this business is that like the convenience factor is the biggest barrier to most people entering hunting. So, you know, but once people have had a taste of it, once people get start to get involved, then all of a sudden they become like us and the motivation, they, you make time for it. You know what I mean? Like you Mm -hmm. build your life around it, Um, but you don't do that until you've already experienced it.
2: Well, and I get it because for most places, at least a lot of places out here, you know, and I know every state and every County is different, but you know, it's like, you've got maybe two options a month for, for taking the in-person class. And then, you know, it's, it's an hour and a half away or 45 minutes away. And, you know, it's, it's an all day commitment and it's, it's a big deal. It's not like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really look forward to doing that necessarily anymore. Like, yeah. you know, it's one thing committing to going hunting. It's another thing to commit to. And, and, and I'll admit so often, so many of these in-person classes, it's like an old boys club. Yes, Like it's getting better. Cause I think, you know, but I feel like we almost missed a generation when it came to hunting. And, Mm. you know, we have, you know, we're one or two generations removed. And so now we're finally getting a younger set of people into the, into this hunter ed ed course. But so often you roll in and it's an 80 year old dude who's literally just reading a PowerPoint presentation the entire time. And I want to shoot myself in the face. Like, it's not fun. It's not interesting. It doesn't get me excited to hunt. But then, you know, I have buddies that do it now and they are fantastic at it. So, you know, there's always opportunities, but being able to, you know, if you're trying to mentor someone, you know, if you're trying to get someone out, being able to tell them, yeah, oh, yeah, just go online, do this course. It'll cost you 25 bucks. Then you can apply, you know, once you get your license number, you can apply for a license, da, 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 da. Which is funny. I feel like I should have figured that out because I use my Idaho Bow Hunters uh, certification for. You know, there's several other states that require you to have a bow hunter certification. Mm-hmm. And I use that one across the board. So I never even thought about, you know, taking, taking hunter safety that way.
1: Yeah. Well, the only reason you didn't think about it is because it wasn't something you needed to think about. You yeah. know I mean? I'm thinking about this stuff because I'm like making my living based around whether or not these things can be done. You know, most hunters in New Jersey, even though we've had it for like three years now, they don't even know that we have an apprentice license or what it is, you know, because it's just, it's not relevant. They haven't bothered to like look into it, you know, Mm -hmm. but, uh, what, yeah. I mean, if people are willing to take that step, it's amazing the number of people who are still not really motivated enough to take that step and do it online. And at a certain point, it's like, you have to take some initiative to get that thing going for yourself. But that, that's the first thing I tell people after that, Aside from yeah, book a hunt with me, please. <laughs> I tell them, you know, there's a, a remarkable number of people who are willing to mentor out there, and social media is a really good way to find them. Um, I find that uh, there are some very active Facebook groups in New York and New Jersey. I'm sure there are probably some very active ones elsewhere. Um. There are also, you know, when I first came to Jersey, I was fairly active on like a, you know, a forum old school, like message board website. Um, And um, even as an experienced hunter, you know, I was able to find some folks who were willing to take me around, showing places where they used to hunt if they were like retired guys or, you know what I mean? Like, and this message about like recruitment and mentoring is one that I, I think a lot of experienced hunters are taking to heart. So uh, I really do think that, um, you know blind posting into a facebook group hey i'm new would anybody be willing to you know let me tag along or show me something anything you know i think people would be surprised at the like total strangers who they would end up hunting with
2: so uh we were we were talking a bit earlier and you uh you mentioned something about um you had an idea for mentor seasons
1: yes yes um i was uh sitting around smoking weed the other day and I had an actually good idea you know sometimes you get ideas when you're smoking weed and you think uh it's great then and then you sober up and it's really not that good of an idea but this one I I've stuck to and I think is it's a really good idea you know we we have youth days why don't we also have mentoring days which could also be a youth day a bonus youth day You know what I mean? Where only hunters utilizing an apprentice license or you know, on their very first hunting license are allowed to hunt, you know, and they have to be accompanied by a mentor or whatever. Um, and and the reason that I, I feel like it's it's really important that we do that is because what I have observed in my business, which is that the number of available days has a massive impact on the number of people who try the sport because you know, like in the last week of the season in February, we have, you know, the season goes into mid February here on like February 9th. Some guy emailed me and said, man, I just like had this idea and decided that I wanted to try hunting. And I found you like, do you have any availability coming up? And that Saturday I took him hunting, right? If there wasn't an open season in February, that guy would have missed that, and the you know he would have had to wait until September. And from my experience in the past, when people have to wait to like follow through on that impulse, the majority of them do not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like we honestly should be having like mentoring seasons wherever it's not going to affect the game management goals. You know what I mean? Give give apprentices an extra three weeks, an extra month in which they could potentially hunt with a mentor. Um, You know, maybe they can only, if it's a big game, maybe they can only harvest one animal during that time, whatever restrictions you got to put on it so that it doesn't affect, you know, the overall management goals, but still allows like a massively increased number of days that a person can get in the woods. Cause when you think about it, like most gun seasons are what, like between two and four weeks, Mm -hmm. like, you know, and unless it's a state where you have a whole lot of crossbow hunting, that might be the only window where a beginner could really, most beginners could easily jump in and try things out. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's something that like, I now want to like shout to the hills that we need to be pushing for. You know what I mean?
2: There you go. You got to hit up uh New Jersey fishing game. <laughs> it's true.
1: Well, I mean, New Jersey fishing them. game already has it they already have it going on, right? Because the deer season is so long. Mm-hmm. It's sort of because of how they have everything set up that I've realized. Yeah. You know what I mean? What's missing, mm-hmm. you know, the, the ability to use a crossbow in bow season is also, is just huge. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in, in New York state, you can only use a crossbow during like, I think the muzzleloader season and the gun season, you, you can't use it very much during like, or at all during the proper archery season. Um, and I totally get why that is, but of course it, it severely limits. It's cutting in half, probably the number of days that a true beginner could really like get out there and try it out easily. Um, yeah, no, New Jersey's awesome. (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying that (laughs) as a person born in Tennessee, but it's really true, man. They, they've got a lot of stuff going right here with fishing game.
2: So if uh, folks wanted to find Learn to Hunt NYC, where can they do that? And where can they follow along with uh, everything you got going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you Google Learn to Hunt, you'll find me pretty darn quick. Learntohuntnyc.com is the website if you want to go direct to it. Um, I have a Facebook page, uh, but I'm most active on Instagram at Hunting Actors it's a very derivative name, but, uh, it fits <laughs> a little,
2: little bit on the nose there. What can you do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have to hunt NYC. I'm I'm kind of an on the nose type of guy, I guess. There you but, go. Uh, you know, it works. It works.
2: For me. <laughs> All right. Well, y'all make sure you head on over to the show notes page. You can get links to everything we talked about there. Give Fisher a follow if you are in the area or heading to the area. Make sure you check out Learn to Hunt NYC. Fisher, thanks for uh, sitting down taking the time to talk. My pleasure, man. It was good times. I hope I get to come back. Hell yeah. All right, y'all. That'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure you check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes.
1: Check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more.